And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, February 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Part two of our starting pitcher preview. It was two parts when we started. It's already three. I'm looking forward to it, though, because talking <laughs> pitching with Eno is one of my favorite things to do. Eno, how's it Just going for you Just make it a pitching Monday? podcast. <laughs> Just make it a pitching podcast. I don't think anybody would turn that down. We're in the middle of a three-day weekend for the boys, which is not a three-day weekend for the adults, which is always <laughs> a barrel of laughs. Yeah, you go back to work on Tuesday depleted from the long weekend, not rested <laughs> yeah. whatsoever, I imagine. At least I went into the woods last night. The, my friend has a cabin here in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and it was just deliciously spring. Just so wet and and just smells amazing. You know, just a, a wet pine forest is just, you know, just uh, really, really nice. You know, made a little... Uh, fire in the cabin, uh, played some Clue, and uh, drank some craft beer, and the kids uh, had a really good time. So uh, it's good to sort of get out of the house for a second and uh, get into nature, even if it was uh, just, uh, I guess, sort of dabbing a pinky toe in the in the nature. Yeah, just getting a little bit outdoors probably makes things feel a lot better, at least when it's not, you know, negative eight degrees the way it has yeah, been here for you i guess that's not really an option right now <laughs> not yet not quite not yet. without eight layers <laughs> yeah I, I love taking the dog out almost all the time but i don't think hazel even likes going outside it was minus 27 the wind chill was minus 27 oh. this morning when i took Did her you say out that once you went out and your eyelashes froze well yeah my eyes watered because the wind hit me in the face and my eyes you can't really cover your eyes uh, so my eyes watered Your and eyes froze. It starts to freeze right away. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like like a Christmas vacation joke. It's it's too real. Uh, have you ever thrown like boiling water out and seen it freeze? No, I should do that though. You're probably at that level. You're at that level. Just throw it out the bucket out the door and just see if it even makes it to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, pick up where we left off last week. We were talking about mostly top 25 starting pitchers on our first starting pitcher episode. Uh, so we'll kind of pick it up around Mike Soroka, someone that we're both relatively high on. We both have him inside our top 35. He's coming off the Achilles injury. I think for me, a big part of what makes me confident in Mike Soroka is it seems like his recovery has gone very well to this point. With spring training starting up here in just a few days, it makes it a lot easier to get updates in the near future, right? We'll have some Zoom sessions. We'll have players going through workouts or not going through workouts, which will shed light on Soroka and even Steven Strasburg, who we'll talk about probably here in just a few minutes. But 
it seems like people look past Soroka having a 286 ERA and 116 whip in his first 37 big league starts because he doesn't strike enough guys out, but he's so young and he's not small. It's not like one of those guys that is undersized for a starter. I mean, he's listed at like 6'5 and 220. I still think the stuff could get better. And he already has a good idea what he's doing out there. And he's had a lot of success at a very young age. So for me, Soroka is definitely one of my targets in that pick 150 range where I want to go a little bit ahead of ADP to make sure I get him. Yeah, you know, I think he represents um, a little bit of a switch in the rankings from uh, people I'm excited to get to people I will pick because they've lasted on the board too long. Soroka <laughs> <laughs> uh, is more like I think I think you're right. I'm with you on like I want to get him. I'm, I'm going to pick him here so that he get. Uh, I don't think he'll get back to me, sort of deal, right? If you're in a snake draft, uh, worth the extra dollar to get him in an auction. But when it gets below him, I actually I'm I know there's a lot of people who are super excited about Joe Musgrove. I'm not really. Um, you know, we'll talk about some of these strike throwers, but the Marco Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel types, as much as I, I like them and I end up on a lot of teams with them, I'm not targeting them. I'm more like I like these guys more than other guys and they'll come to me, uh, that sort of deal. Um, and it's too early to take somebody that, um, you know, like you're super excited about, but you know, you're more excited about than everybody else like a Christian Javier or Spencer Turnbull. I'm ruining your rundown left and right. I'm sorry about this. But, <laughs> you know, uh, the, my point is Soroka is in that last group of Lance McCullers. Um, I don't know. Urquidy's there for me. Pablo Lopez. Guys that I think are established that have another level. And it's a little bit weird to say that about Soroka because he's had such great numbers so far. And most projections say he's going to get worse. But I uh, think that there's enough there that I believe in um, that I think that he's going to outperform his projections and give me something in the low in the low to mid threes ERA wise. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm expecting too. We'll see if they slow play him at all. If that's the case, maybe I'll be a little less aggressive. But I would agree that in that portion of the rankings, we're talking about. Again, back of the top 30, middle of the top 30, that's when it starts to taper off. The guys that you feel really good about really start to run out. Uh, Tyler Molly, who you have at 40 on your pitcher rankings, is someone I'm excited about, but I, I thought I liked him a lot. You like him more than I do. It's kind of like the Jose Urquidy situation where mm -hmm. I felt like I was in a position to get him a lot. Now I see where you've got him ranked, and now I wonder if I have to bump him up a little bit just to stay ahead of the market. Yeah, and within the realm of my command and, and stuff uh, numbers, um, I think these two, two pitchers are actually more similar than they first appear. Um, you know, the, the whole reason I use command and stuff numbers is so they can be useful in small samples. Command uh, stats perform tells me stabilizes around three starts, um, and uh, stuff is on the level of one start because it's just how hard do you throw it and what shapes. You know, it's usually actually very you know, becomes meaningful very quickly when you're talking about um, how does someone throw their curveball. Um, so uh, these are supposed to be small sample things. Sirocco is kind of an impossibly small sample. You know, 13 innings. It's I, I think it's good to see that he has that same stuff number as Tyler Molly at 106. But the 95 command plus, I'm not um, I'm not sort of reading that as sacrosanct. I'm not saying that's his number. A, he had higher numbers in the past in fuller seasons. B, 
I when I watch him, I see great command and see I could see there being something off maybe physically that either led to the um, Achilles tear or just uh, one of the sort of random three start sample that we just didn't get the best look at Soroka in terms of command. If you know, I got a text from a major league pitcher in camp with uh, Mike Soroka the first time he ever saw him. He said, oh, my God, this guy's special. And from watching him, I, you know, if the, the, the Braves have a bunch of pitchers who've outperformed their projections and, um, and should, are all projected to regress next year. This is something that I discovered. I was looking at the numbers and uh, Braves fans discovered when they were reading my pieces that they weren't very happy about uh, a couple <laughs> of my tweets on the subject and so on and so forth. Of the pitchers the Braves have, I think Soroka is the one that might have a special skill that allow him to outperform his his stuff and his uh, his tradition, traditional metrics. I think he has that sort of Molly level command. I think this year he'll have like a 110 command plus because that's the kind of pitcher I see with Soroka, a guy who can really put the ball where he wants to put it. Another thing that makes him um, outperform his strikeout rate numbers is Soroka. Sorry that... I know we're moving on to Molly in a second, but with Soroka, the reason he outperforms these numbers to some extent is because he has a really good straight change and really good straight change-ups and just change-ups in general. I noticed that the relationship, the correlation between uh, uh, the individual pitch type swing strike rate and the overall swing strike rate and strikeout rate was lowest for change-ups. So my theory is that straight change up first guys do actually get some soft command soft contact and do actually outperform their strikeout rates that's relevant for Urquidy and that's relevant for Soroka so you know a, a, a change up is not always used just for a whiff it is literally used for soft contact because you think about how a changeup works it's the you know the the velocity differential and the and it works off the fastball sometimes soft contact is the aim um, and so you just won't get as many strikeouts, I think, with a changeup first pitcher. Uh, but that's the reason why I believe in Soroka. Molly um, is a slightly different story where he was one of these guys like, um, I'll try to look down ranking for an example, maybe like a JT Brewbreaker or an Alec Mills, um, where uh, a Merrill Kelly type, where I was like, they've got a lot of pitches and they've got command, but do they A, have enough velocity and they, do they B, have an out pitch? that'll make it all come together. And I think that there, we're still sort of waiting and seeing a little bit with Alec Mills and JT Brubaker. Um, I think we've uh, seen that Merrill Kelly, when he bumped the velocity up, was a lot better pitcher uh, than when he when he first came in the league at sort of 91, 92. Um, and I think with Tyler Molly, what we've seen is the velocity is there, and I think the strike, the slider he's got now is a strikeout out pitch. So that's why I just pushed him. I mean, if you just look at his command stuff numbers, very excellent. They's on the level of Hunjin Ryu. Um, and uh, now he's got that slider as an out pitch. It was a new pitch last year that was neither as soft. It was kind of in between his old curve and his old slider. He found this sort of power curve slider that looks like, a, like an out pitch. Yeah, and Molly, just for reference, his ADP, I think since January 1st, still got that as my default. I should probably update that to the first half of February is around pick 175. So he's definitely in the affordable range. People are targeting him as probably the fourth or fifth starting pitcher that they draft, depending on how aggressive they're getting those depth options. I think he jumps off the page in that range with strikeout rate in particular. 
I mean, 29.9% K rate in the shortened season. The slider, I think, was a huge development for him. And I think the other thing that really stands out to me, if you look at the bigger picture of 19 and 20, you get a lower walk rate than what we saw from Tyler Molly in the shortened season. So while the Ks went up and the walks went up in the shortened season, I don't know if I look at him as a guy that has significant control issues because of the aforementioned, you know, well above average command that he's shown. So I'm not... I'm not locked in on him as a guy who's going to also bring the walk rate with the increase in strikeouts. I think he can actually hold some of those gains in K's and get back to the previous walk rates. Yeah, and I think it's I think command plus here makes for an interesting uh, discussion of of how how command stuff fit together because you look at the command number and the command number for Molly, he's always been like a top ten command guy. And we're talking about in seasons where he has like a 4.95 walk rate and a 4.26 walk rate and a 1.8 homer per nine. And sometimes when you take command plus and you try to correlate it to these outcomes, you don't always get the right, you don't get good answers. You don't get really tight correlations anywhere. You're like, is command plus useful? However, command plus is in context with stuff. So Tyler Molly had low stuff numbers, had below average stuff numbers before the slider, right? And when you have below average stuff and good command, sometimes you're just not throwing it in the zone because you don't have a confidence in any of your pitches to get an out, like to get a whiff in the zone. I know there's a lot of pitching analysts out there who are really interested in whiffs in the zone, and I could see that because that is domination. That is like, I threw this pitch in the zone, and if you don't swing at it, it's a called strike, and if you do swing at it, it's a swinging strike. That is the that is domination. That is an out pitch. You know what I mean? And if you don't have that, you can have great command and just be frightened to death of like actually putting any of your pitches in the zone because you just don't think you have an out pitch. So I think that Tyler Molly has always had this excellent command, and we were just waiting for that out pitch for it all to come together. And I honestly, I do think he could have like something like a 10K9 and like a 2.8 walks per nine next year, which yeah. would absolutely support a mid to low three ZRA. And it, that's just sort of this new mix of commands and, and stuff together that has produced a better situation. That's why it's sometimes hard in my rankings to rank somebody who has uh, below average stuff and great command. Aaron Savali was a hard rank for me. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez has always been a hard rank for me. Nathan Eovaldi is a hard rank for me. Um, you know, Zach Eflin. These are hard ranks for me because... I see the command, and I think that command will let them play beyond their stuff. But there's also like a, just a certain amount of stuff you have to have to to be in the league. I mean, like yeah. for example, no one's throwing 87 out there. No, like right doesn't work. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, Savali, it's kind of interesting. I think by market is at least in the same tier as Tyler Molly, even though Molly goes about 15 picks earlier on average. You, you do have this kind of cluster of I just call them strike throwers that are all Mm. lower on my list than they are on yours I think Dallas Keuchel is part of that group at the lower end again close to Savali and ADP around 190 at the higher end Marco Gonzalez around pick 170 am I casting too wide of a net or am I downgrading that group of pitchers too much I mean I don't I don't think we're going to get anything close to what we got in the shortened season from Marco Gonzalez, for example. I think he's a nice pitcher. I think he's the kind of guy that's much better in simulation leagues and really deep formats, and I think he's probably like a true talent mid-rotation starter. 
And even in the shortened season, we didn't get that much in terms of a K rate from him. 23.1% is fine, but I'm not even convinced that that's necessarily where he stays, given that the 2019-2020 Frankenstein numbers have him under 20%. That's a pretty big leap for Marco Gonzalez. And compared to Mali, I don't know if the changes in Arsenal are really there to support that kind of strikeout rate increase. Yeah, there's an interesting thing going on with Marco Gonzalez that he uh, leads the league in decisions um, since the beginning of 2019. Um, you know, just uh, 16 and 13 in 2019 and 7 and 2 last year. That's a lot of decisions. And so what you're seeing is a guy who pitches deep in the games. And maybe that's not always great because I do actually think, you know, if you ask me true talent ERA wise, I think Mark Gonzalez is probably like a 4.2 ERA, right? Like I don't I don't think he's like a 3.1 like last year. The 3.99 in 2019. Yeah, that's about where I think he is. He's like a 3.9, 4.1, that sort of guy. Not that exciting. However, one thing that I did find when I looked at command stuff was that command predicted innings uh, innings pitched per appearance better than stuff. And I so I, I think command allows you to turn the lineup more over more often. And command allows you to stay in the game longer. And so what I think you'll see from this group are um, things that you don't so, like sort of bulk, um, oatmeal-ish, uh, but with decisions and we're, you know, wins are terrible right now. Wins are just disappearing as fast as stolen bases. Like just trying to find wins is just horrifying. So I would say that in this Marco Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, um, a- Andrew Haney to some extent, uh, Zach Davies, uh, you know, even Patrick Corbin, uh, I think John Means is in that group. I think Aaron Savali is in that group. Um, Tyler Molly is like uh, is in this group actually. I think, but like maybe above it because of you know uh, additional stuff beyond that. But you know that group are the strike throwers. I agree with you. I think what they will f- what you'll find is they'll get you more wins just by staying in games longer, and uh, that bulk will come with like a seven K nine on average in this group. But it might get you the same four ERA that everyone else is getting, and you might get some wins, which are actually probably more valuable and important in fantasy baseball than strikeouts right now, because you can get strikeouts everywhere. Wins are really tough to find. Yeah, and I'm wondering too, out of that group, if Dallas Keuchel is actually maybe the best all-round option of the group. I mean, if you're looking for bulk and you're looking for wins, the team quality, I think, is still a notch above. The Mariners are doing some really interesting things. I think we both like their farm system. I think we generally believe in the direction of the organization. But as far as your offense providing run support and your bullpen protecting leads, even when you reduce the strain on that bullpen the way that these guys tend to do, even like the three good Seattle relievers you need to finish out a game compared to the White Sox relievers, there's a difference there. And the gap between those two teams and run support is actually pretty huge. So if I'm going to make a play in this range, it has to be somebody on a team that I think is really well set up. And that to me describes Keuchel, but it doesn't necessarily describe Marco Gonzalez. You know, if Haney stays healthy, could could describe Haney to some extent. Um, um the problem with John means is a, the team is bad. The bullpen is bad and the park is bad. So um, I'm actually finding that uh, even though I have means ranked a slightly higher than ADP um, that um, people are pushing it to get means maybe in front of me. 
um, maybe for out from under my nose in drafts more than I am. So I haven't actually drafted any shares. The only share of means I have right now, uh, I have maybe two of them in, in Dynasty Auto New type situations. But um, I think Corbin is uh, also in that group. Um, there's some question about health and wealth and, and fastball velocity with Patrick Corbin. But, um, you know, if you put Patrick Corbin next to Dallas Keuchel and Marco Gonzalez, I think I could put that three and maybe even put Zach Davies in that. Now I've got four pitchers that I think will do the same thing for me. You know, pitch for a decent team, um, get some wins, be bulkish, you know, and be super cheap. So I think that group is actually kind of a compelling group. That's, I think that's a great way to spend a fourth pick when other people are reaching down for their deep sleepers or taking people that fell for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's viable to at least at least go after one in that group. Stroman fits in that group for me for sure. I, I like him the best of those names. Yeah, Stroman. I think Stroman's that group. But you know what's really interesting about this group too? They they're up against guys like Corey Kluber and Steven Strasburg, where the injury risk is out the wazoo, and we're gonna have a season where probably. I don't know if it'll be full, like triple the normal season of injuries, but I think we'll still be a high, uh, a, like maybe double the normal injury rate for pitchers because they're still coming off a season where they didn't build up, you know? And so I think innings will be hugely difficult for everybody to put together. So instead of taking a shot on Corey Kluber, where you might get 60 innings or you might get 150, but you have no idea. Um, like taking somebody that is meat and potatoes, oatmeal, whatever, might be really important this year because innings are going to be really rough on all of us. I think your benches in most of your leagues should be fulled with starting pitchers. And I think you're, you should think of in your, as your third or fourth pitcher, taking a guy that you just think will give you innings and above all else, because you could take Corey Kluber and he could go down in spring training and you never got an inning from him. Yeah, well, you've got a couple guys that are a lot lower on your list than they are either on my list or even compared to ADP. I mean, you've got Chris Paddock lumped in with Gonzalez and Keuchel and Stroman in means. You've got Paddock 48th among starting pitchers. I've got him more like fringy top 25. I realize it's a two-pitch skill set that he relies on very heavily. The third pitch is a big question for him. Injury risk indicator that you use came out lower than I expected on Paddock. I thought it was going to be a red flag in that category that also pulled him down. He's another minor league hurt guy, right? Mm-hmm. Had Tommy he John had the in the minors. TJ in the minors is not going to show up here. So that is definitely um, version 2.0. And maybe we can even manage to do it this spring um, is to put something in as a, as a proxy for minor league stuff. Yeah. The minor league injury risk should have been higher for him. I think I did. I mentally did that. And then we've, we've talked um, almost ad nauseum here about what Paddock needs to do. And I think it's just a question of, do you think he can do it? Right. I mean, his, his fastball went from having a ton of ride to having no ride. And I just don't know. I know that he's working on his curveball and he's working on a cutter. And I just don't know if he's going to like, just sh- move on like in that you know like keep going what he's doing and just work on the curveballs and like not not worry about his fastball or if he's going to spend all offseason getting the ride back on his fastball like i don't know i would love to get like an in-depth interview i would love to talk to him you know <laughs> um i would love to be going to spring training right now and uh and going into the clubhouse and talking about it because it's i think 
one of the first people I'd circle is go to Padres camp and talk to Chris Paddock. Um, yeah, we'd love to see the adjustments he's making too. Without knowing that, I just don't don't know where to put him. You know. Yeah, he's 40th in terms of ADP, and that includes the relievers, so probably about seven relievers or so going ahead of him at 113 overall. So if he's 33rd yeah, among starters... Yeah, in ADP. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty he nice might, discount. I'll, I'm going to put a little up question mark next to him. If I heard something from Dennis Lynn or something, like if, if something came down the pipe that that he realized the fastball was an issue and he's working on it, then I think actually that would be enough to start taking him up. I mean, I just, I don't know if he knows this is an issue or what, you know, what the, I just don't know what the coaching situation is on him. I think that's fair. I put a, a question out on Twitter. I didn't throw a poll on it with actual voting options, but Steven Strasburg is a really tough rank right now. We've talked about his injury, the neuritis in his wrist and, and just the, limited number of pitchers who've had that i think the last comments i saw from anyone in the front office were at least two months ago they were from december at that time they said they expect strasburg to be full go at the start of spring training we'll know really soon if that's the case but what i put out there on twitter was this idea that if he's just working out exactly the same as the other starters if strasburg and max scherzer and patrick corbin are all doing the same things at the same time as spring training begins I assume Strasburg jumps in ADP from the 70s to the 50s. Everyone's pushing pitching right now. Strasburg's skills, I don't think, are are really a concern at all. But he's in the throwout 2020 because he barely had one bucket. I mean, it's a pretty risky profile because of the injuries he's dealt with over the course of his career. But is Steven Strasburg really that much more of an injury risk than Blake Snell, for example. Like I could see Strasburg and Snell becoming a toss-up, even though you can get Strasburg about 20 or so picks later right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just don't like, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at, um, you know, Strasburg's history, and I just don't like how, like, he hits, he hit the 200, and then he, like, just fell apart innings-wise, you know. And we forget, like, there's certain ways that he's he's been bulkish enough in certain seasons that we think, oh, yeah, he can do it. But really, he's a guy who's, like, pitched 200 innings twice in his career, you know? Um, and so now coming off of surgery, like, I'm just, I want to see him throwing healthily before I believe he's healthy. Now, in terms of precedent, like, is David Price is probably the best precedent. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think he had surgery in 2018 um, in the off season, And so he came back in 2019 and his ERA jumped uh, 0.7 runs. I know it's not, you know, I'm sure he was, you know, his Sierra in 2018 and 2019 was the same. Yes, I can, you can point that stuff out. I'm sure it wasn't all the carpal tunnel syndrome, but like he also threw 107 innings in 2019. David Price. And David Price was a bulk guy. Yeah, he was a heavy workload guy for a while, for sure. And then you turn him into a 107-inning guy in 2019, coming off the same surgery. Now, what happens if you talk, take a guy that you'd be happy with 150 innings from? I think you, you'd expect sort of like 70 innings from Strasburg this year. Like, honestly, that's how I feel. <laughs> I feel like I, I expect 70 to 90 innings from Strasburg this year. So that's where I ranked him, you know? And, and the innings part, of course, is the hardest 
of this season. That's why I put the injury risk in there to sort of guide me along on this innings part. But it's also super important. We're all going to be struggling to get to 1,200 innings. I think it'll be really hard. The, the Rays are, are struggling to get to 800 innings. They're, they're signing Rich Hill and Michael Waka, and they're signing every broken old man, and they're going to try and hope that the, all the DL stints don't show up at the same time. You know? Yeah. yeah you don't get them to overlap to be okay. Do, I guess. <laughs> I do think this is going to be one of those seasons, and you hinted at this with roster construction, where you want your bench to be a little heavier with starting pitchers than usual. But I think making sure you don't miss on two start weeks from the wire is going to be a pretty important part of in-season play this year. Like it always matters, but if bulk is generally difficult to find and wins end up being really tightly clustered together, even strikeouts end up being tightly clustered together, being you know a week ahead of two-start pitchers and, and trying to get those guys through for reasonable amounts of fab is going to be as important as it's ever been, I guess we'll say, uh, as we kind of map it out. Who's that going to be? If you if you want to if you want to have somebody on your bench, who's a bench guy that might start twice in the first in the first uh, go through the order? It has to be basically a second division ace or a second division number two. So um, Haney might start twice in the first week. Um, Marco Gonzalez might not because it might be a six man rotation there, which is another reason to maybe fade Marco Gonzalez a little bit, but. Um, Maybe like Zach Davies might start twice in the right because he's Could be, probably yeah. the number two there, right? Um, who's another guy who might start twice? Mike would Mike Miner start twice in the first week? Might be a super cheap guy to put on your bench, Mike Miner. Yeah, he might be. He might be their number two just based on how they line everything up. They might want to go, you know, righty lefty righty or something up top. I mean, you could play this game in spring a little bit. Uh, they actually follow their schedules a little bit from the beginning of spring. I mean, because the whole idea is you you know throw one inning, then you throw three innings, then you throw five innings, and then you're ready to go. And they kind of want it to go bop, 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 so that that next one is major league season, you know? So you can sort of get in a sense of who's number one, who's number two. And then I think I would look on like the Cardinals, the Cardinals number two. Who's the Cardinals number two? Whoever it is might be a good stash for your bench for the first week because they might be in St. Louis and they might get two starts. Yeah, play that game as early and often as you can because I think it's going to pay off in a big way here in 2021. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about Spencer Turnbull. 
He is absolutely one of your guys based on the rank. I know he comes up in a lot of your pieces, and it's a little bit of everything, it seems, with Spencer Turnbull. I think one thing that it, he's kind of caught your eye with in the past, the multiple pitches, right? He's got a really good, deep arsenal, and that alone just gives him more paths to unlocking a, a new level. I, I think that's the, the best way I could describe Spencer Turnbull, but what else has kind of caught your eye more recently as you've been looking at where to rank him? Well, one thing that, uh, that one thing I did was um, after I, I looked at something for um, um, Rob, the pitching ninja, um, no, actually for Barton Smith, the, the guy who does uh, seam shifted wake, he had a list of seam shifted wake pitchers. So pitchers who use the seams to create more movement um, on their sinker and changeups. And so he gave me a list, and um, his list was slightly different than the one I put in my article. It was slightly different methodology for coming up with it. But anyway, what he thought was the biggest seam shifted wakers. And I looked at, they all threw, all of the seam shifted wakers threw both four seamers and two seamers, right? And in the group that I sent him, there was a remarkable distinction in how both of their fastballs did. Um, and the thing that was cool about it was, their fastballs didn't move necessarily more than league average. They just did better. They didn't. They weren't faster than league average, and they didn't move more than league average. But as a grouping, their fastballs, their four-seamers and two-seamers did better than league average. So to me, that speaks to some sort of deception. Um, if they don't, if they have the same movement and they have the same velocity and they're doing better, something's going on here. So what I did was I went and... Um, italicized all the names of the people that were on that list just to you know okay like i'm not going to move this guy 10 because of it but it's going to be something that you know joe musgrove you know uh i might have had him lower if his name wasn't italicized i had him at 45 the adp has him at 41 but he's a seam shifted waker has league average stuff the average command i could see he also has a few amount of pitches maybe there'll be a tweak there uh, but the, the names on that list uh, were Lance Lynn, Max Freed, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Joe Musgrove, Spencer Turnbull, Brad Keller, Jay Happ, Trevor Williams. I mean, it's a pretty good list. If Trevor Williams is the worst pitcher on this list, Adrian Hauser's on there. Uh, if those are the two worst pitchers on your list, we've, we've, we've talked about those pitchers before, almost all of them as being interesting pitchers. So... That's something that Turnbull has going for him is he has two fastballs that play off each other and there's a certain amount of te- deception and makes them play up. And the what we saw with the like has lots of different pitches, can tweak it is I think last year we saw um, more usage of the four seam high in the zone than he'd ever done before. So he got a bunch of whiffs off that. So I think he's refining his fastball approach and he's been mostly he, he most was mostly fastball slider last year. Uh, but you know, using the change up a little bit more over time um, and still throws the curveball enough to say there's could be you know one or two more tweaks here and he could take off. And there's no real negative. If, you, if this all came with like a 90 command plus, I'd actually understand it better. But um, with Turnbull, I just there was I, I kept trying to attack him and be like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but and um, none of the yeah, buts really landed. So I ended up with uh, with Turnbull where I had him, which was uh, 59th overall, 98th by ADP, 109 by projections. But I guess I'm a Turnbull guy. 
Yeah, I think you are at this point, but you don't have to go overboard to get them. I think that's that's nice. When you have that much of a gap over where a player tends to go, you can sit I back might push and him down wait. just because of that, you know? I mean, you don't have to have him ranked 40, 59th if if he's 98th. I can rank him 70th and still end up with him on my teams, you know? Right. Yeah, I had that problem with Wander, actually, on my hitter rankings. So it got to a point where... I had him as a fringe top 100 hitter, and his ADP, I think, is around pick 300 overall. So you can't draft him as the 160th or 170th player off the board if he's typically going 120 or 130 picks later than that. Uh, so you know, account accordingly. That's why the ADP column is actually in the rankings too. It's just to throw that out there, like, hey, like it's it's this relative to market. So. You know, for feel purposes on draft day, don't grossly overpay for anybody uh, because you want to try and maximize the number of high quality players that you pick up over the course of the draft. You can also copy and paste my rankings and do like me versus ADP just to get a you know a list of my guys. What you'll find is uh, you'll find a lot of uh, quality of stuff. You'll find a lot of stuff green um, and a fair amount of command green too. So. With the with the color coding and with those things, you can kind of play around with it and basically see how I made my ranks. So one thing I wanted to do by making this kind of a three-part series instead of a two-part starting pitcher preview is open up a few questions along the way. Uh, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. If you want to go the email route, he's at Enoceris on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you prefer the Twitter route, we'll get to more questions on part three. One that came in for part two was about two Brewer starters that we didn't talk about all that much on the last episode, uh, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. And the big concern with Woodruff, the question came from Jake, it's basically the innings, right? We just haven't seen Brandon Woodruff do it over a complete season. It was an oblique injury that slowed him down, I believe, in 2019. But if you're looking at called strikes and whiffs, you're looking at stuff, you're looking at command, Woodruff ticks all of the boxes. I mean, that's... That's why Brandon Woodruff is my sixth-ranked starting pitcher. I think he's one of those guys that, as a group, fantasy players are generally pretty optimistic about him and, and paying a price, assuming he can give us those numbers over a full season. And the projection systems back it up, too. I mean, we're talking about a 350 range ERA, a 115 whip, a good strikeout rate. So if you do scale up, if you do scale up the workload, you're probably going to have a shot at 200 Ks pretty easily as long as he actually stays healthy this year. Uh, are there any red flags for you with Woodruff as someone that you might have to draft as a delayed ace, we'll call it? I mean, as someone that's an early third rounder by ADP that sometimes gets pushed up into that uh, mid-second round range? No, and I I mean, I, I like him. Um, I've pushed his, his, his ranking around. I, I like him better than ADP. I have him as a top 10 pitcher, and I could almost see um, taking him over Darvish, Bauer, Giolito, just because that command gives him um, a higher floor. Um, and this, you know, 61 percentile injury risk for Woodruff is not like 90th percentile. It's not, I would say that's basically league average. You know, I mean, I know, I know it's not technically, um, but it, it, it's in that range where I'm like, uh, I, I don't actually perceive that much of an injury risk for him. And, um, and he also is in that veteran group where I don't think they're doing like the plus 10%. They're not going to tell Brandon Woodruff next year that he can only pitch 80 innings. 
Um, Brandon Woodruff is going to be the best pitcher, the best starting pitcher on those Brewers. And I think to the most part, they're going to pitch him every five days and just track. I'm sure the of that class of team that tracks arm slot, zone percentage, velocity, and will give him, you know, uh, a, a, a turn through the rotation off, skip his day or something, um, and manage him that way. I just can't imagine them saying, you know, uh, you're in the bullpen now. No. Or, you know what I mean? Like Definitely not a concern with Brandon Woodruff. He's the ace of that staff. And the other part of Jake's question... No velocity about, loss or anything that like would tell you, oh, something weird's going on. So No, he touches up in the high 90s sometimes, too. Like, he's... He's got plenty of velo, but the other person or the player that Jake was asking about was Corbin Burns. I've got Burns 23rd among starters in my rankings. It's really all about stuff. The command, it's not good. I mean, it's it's a, yeah. it's a problem. Even with the success he had last year, Corbin Burns did that with poor command. Is he... Are we right to lump him in with... I don't want to say Denelson Lamette because Lamette's got some health concerns that have, have dropped him down is this like a Tyler Glass now best case scenario, which also comes with ratios implosion as a, a realistic sort of downside? I mean, we've seen Corbin Burns all over the place in the time that he's been in the big leagues, looking good when he debuted in 18, falling apart in 19 and posting some of the ugliest ratios we've ever seen, and then bouncing back and, and posting like ace caliber ratios in the shortened season. Which burns are we going to get? And, and how much do you trust projections if projections say the ERA is coming out in the high threes and the whip's going to be in the low to mid 120s? I mean, I think the advanced stuff uh, that people are doing seems to shine through with, with Corbin Burns and make a lot of his pitch mix change uh, decisions make sense. And so if you see this within the within the lens of, um, for example, uh, spin mirroring, uh, and command plus. So yeah, he has bad command, but guess which pitch he commands the best? The cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one he basically has league average command on. So he found his command pitch. It's not the fastball, it's the cutter. And so now everything comes off the cutter. Now if you look at the cutter um, and you do spin mirroring, you say, oh, uh, it, it spin mirrors really well with the uh, two-seam fastball, I think. Um, oh, so now... He's throwing the two-seam more, right? He used to be kind of four-seam slider, and he couldn't command any of it. Now he's establishing with the cutter because he can command it better, and he's spin-mirroring that with the two-seam. And since those spin-mirror better, he's become a two-seam cutter guy. So if you kind of have this little bit, maybe you're just telling yourself stories. That's always a, a chance, right? Like It's a chance for me. It's a chance for all of us. So we're just telling ourselves stories that we can like the guys we like because of this story or that story. I understand. But at least the story is a modern one. <laughs> at least it fits into all this research that's coming out. Is they said, you know, I think that modern pitching is more, you know, your your command pitch doesn't have to be a fastball. You're seeing that more and more with people. Your command pitch could be a slider. So you use your slider to get strikes. You use your fastball to get whiffs. And you use your other your curve or your changeup to get whiffs. You just need to have at least one pitch that you can throw for strikes, and honestly, two probably. Um, and I think that's the one part where I get nervous about Burns. It's like, okay, you've proved to us that you can throw the cutter for strikes, but what if everyone kind of in your second iteration is like, okay, the cutter is the one he throws for strikes. Make him throw strikes with everything else. And what if he can't? 
that's how you get the high that's fours, the ERA, bad whip, yeah. and you know possible. Yeah. I don't jo- job loss is it's never <clears> impossible, <throat> but they don't have a stable of it, they don't have yeah. a stable of starters to take that spot. It, it would have to be a pretty bad implosion for Burns to fall out of that rotation. Maybe just a streaky shape to the season where right. you know there's there's times where you feel like he's droppable or you don't even want to pitch him, and there's other times when he goes on a tear. So. Uh, it's it, it it is the kind of story that we see from other bad command guys. Um, he just seems to be kind of extreme. I like him. I, I have him in the top twenty five. I would I would roster him, um, and I have him right next to Tyler Glass now, and I think they're very comparable. The uh, connected question on Woodruff was: Is he worth retaining for twenty five dollars in a league with a two sixty budget? Yeah, I think so because you're probably factoring in some inflation with players being kept for less than they'd go in an auction. So if you're particularly fearful that there won't be a lot of good pitching out there or that you'll have to pay I mean, 35 go, or 40 to replace yeah. him, then you might as well keep Woodruff at, at he's 25. He's going to go for 25, 30, yeah, in the, in the, yeah. I, I would absolutely think of Woodruff as one of the better uh, dynasty keepers. You know, Woodruff, Gallon, uh, like if you wanted me to like look at this through the, the, the like, you know, which young pitcher would I go by? Uh, Woodruff, Castillo, and Gallon. And Nola, I think, are are the young pitchers that have stuff, have great command, look like they might age well. Feel free to uh, quote tweet me on that one in uh, five years. Yeah, it's it's coming. Um, the Burns <laughs> the Burns Woodruff comp question was: Does he have a similar pedigree and stuff as Woodruff? I think there were prospect lists. I remember Keith Law had Burns ranked higher than Woodruff when they were both prospect eligible i mean I, I there's there's nothing about burns's stuff that's like complete pop-up surprise like there was belief that he was going to be a very good pitcher when he was a prospect so i, I would say it's it's comparable pedigree for sure just in terms of what was expected woodruff kind of crept into the back at top 100 lists burns got a little bit higher on some of those lists because burns reminds uh, me a little bit of bauer page. i think you know uh uh, highly regarded prospects, uh, really good stuff, uh, you know, really good velocity, breaking balls, and then um, a little bit of an up and down period trying to figure out how to best put those pitches together, I think. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but that is, that's the arc that we've seen Corbin Burns take uh, to get to this point. Uh, thanks a lot for the question, Jake. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions a lot of signings over the weekend. We'll get to the pitching ones first, even though the biggest signing was Justin Turner staying with the Dodgers. But James Paxton 
ends up back in Seattle. I think we tried to put him on the Rays several times, and uh, we, we were not successful. He, he was, was not with the, all those other broken guys on the Rays. <laughs> they got some other broken guys instead. But Paxton going back to Seattle, I mean, they've talked about using the six-man rotation, so I think that does cap the workload a little bit. They might not be able to keep a six-man rotation all season long. Guys are going to get hurt, like you said, right? You may reach a point where you don't have six guys that you want to give the ball as starters, and suddenly you're back down to five. So I don't want to go overboard just completely rewriting my workload expectations for some of the pitchers who are supposed to begin the season in a six-man rotation. Paxton already has a reduced workload projection anyway because of his injury history. And projections in general like James Paxton, especially the bat. I'm back in because I think Seattle's a good place for him to be in terms of the park. It's not a hitter-friendly environment, so I think that bodes really well for him. I think he could still give us the sort of high threes ERA, 120s whip that we've seen from him when he's been good in the past, but the injury grade is it's like an F. I mean, it just unfortunately is that at this point, so if you want to see him in spring training and see where the velo is first before even throwing a mid-round dart, I totally understand. But I don't think I want to dismiss the possibility that he can get back to being the guy that he was when he was healthy. I think that's still in there. I I would just put him in a group with uh, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Sale, Luis Severino. Um, you know, I've seen drafts where those guys get drafted too high. I would not put them in the top thirty or forty, uh, just because I they all have Fs uh, on their on their injury cards, um, and um, I would not let them go undrafted. It does get a little complicated when you start thinking about how we're all going to be rooting for innings and and trying to get innings. And I was thinking like I just had a um, a twelve team NF at BC, sort of just a warm up kind of a draft, um, and. I didn't necessarily want to put guys like that on my bench because I was like, how long am I going to nurse these guys? You know, when every week I want to get two starters or I'll be replacing an injured starter already, you know, how, how long do I want to nurse these guys? Like that's why Denilson Lamette is falling in drafts is because you're like, I have to put this guy on my roster. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And if it's a zero, that's just terrible. It's just a total waste of, of it's almost like a, a high end reliever that you're not sure has the job, right? That's almost almost feels picking a Lamette, Sale, or Syndergaard. It's like, well, I'm hoping I can hold on to him long enough for it to matter. <laughs> uh, Paxton at least has the benefit of starting the season, hopefully uh, pitching with the team. Uh, but all those guys, all four of those guys, I think move up a little bit if you've got unlimited DL or even uh, like a three to five spot DL situation going because there's uh, more stashability. But... Um, I see. I see them as sort of similar risk reward propositions. Fairly high amount of risk. Fairly high amount of reward on a per inning basis, but also not on a bulk inning basis. Yeah, I'm a lot more likely. If we're talking about an NFBC situation like you described, where we don't have dedicated IL spots, I'm more likely to take my injury flyer on Paxton than I am on any of the guys coming back from Tommy John in June or July. Because I'm not going to make it till June or July. Yeah, I'm not gonna, yeah. yeah this guy's not going to be on my roster in June or July. But <laughs> I, I think you can imagine just spending month after month being like, oh, what's the Chris Sale update? 
can I make him through? Can I keep him through the roster for one more week? <laughs> I don't think you can. I mean, draft and hold where you got 50 roster spots is different, of course, but no, if you're playing the online hard. championship and it's still yeah. hard because I've been in those, I've been in those drafts. It's still hard to, to draft them in those drafts. Cause you're like, well, I think I'd rather have the guy that I think I can get 150 innings out of. Cause that means more weeks where he might have a pop-up good week and be 80% of Chris sale. And how am I even going to get to the part of the season where Chris sale might be useful if I, if I'm getting zeros for my pitchers because I have Chris Sale on the team. You know what I mean? I've been in draft and hole, and I didn't take any of those guys. Those injured aces, they're like 13% ABV barrel-aged stouts. <laughs> one. Could have, go really well. Might have not one. go well at all. Have, have one. one. If you have get more one. than one, it, things are almost certainly not going to end well for you. So one from that group. Rich Hill to the Rays. One from this group. You, well, don't, you, don't, you don't want to go after Paxton. You want to go after Rich Hill instead because he's cheaper. Okay. I mean, sure. you, you might even cut him before the season starts. Your first <laughs> fab drop might be Rich Hill at this point. Sure. Yeah. The Rays are smart and cool and fun and they're the team that got him. But I mean, Rich Hill age on top of all the injury risk is a huge concern. And we're talking about a guy that throws basically one really useful big league pitch at this stage of his career, right? I mean, we're, there's not much there to fall back on at this point. It's a good pitch, but yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I would say about Rich Hill is that it almost makes me think that all of our leagues should have unlimited DLs. Um, it does allow for gaming, um, which is not great. However, um, it's how the major league works pretty much. And the fact, I think the Rays are gaming that. So if you look at that, Glassnow and Yarbrough, I think, will probably maybe have like, you know, 175, 170-ish for Glassnow, 150-ish for Yarbrough, okay? You need uh, 750 innings out of your starters. So they got, uh, they get, you know, 300-ish from their first two guys. That means they need another uh, 450-so innings. They, they, they probably looked at their young guys who had a combined about 70 innings. If you're talking about uh, McClanahan, Honeywell, Patino, and Fleming as as the young guys, and maybe even Joe Ryan, uh, you know, or um, Brandon McKay. You can put all those guys in there. All of them combined had 70 innings <laughs> last mm-hmm. year. So if you went into the season being like, okay, we're going to have 300 innings for our first two starters, and then these five rookies who've had 70 innings combined in the last year are going to combine for the next 300 innings, no, it's not going to work. So they had to figure out somehow to bring the old guys in that wouldn't block those guys when those guys are healthy, but would allow them to to keep their innings totals down. And the DL is the answer. The IL is the answer. So when Waka Hill, Waka Hill and Archer are worse pitchers at this point in their career than those young guys, probably even on projections, um, you know, but they will allow. You know, the the Rays sort of play innings games with the young guys, and then who's who's like there's nobody in baseball is going to bat an eye if Rich Hill has to go on the DL for you know uh, two weeks for a hamstring. They wouldn't even ask to see his hamstring. You know what I mean? They'd be like, "Yes, I believe it." More blisters. Got oh, he's got a blister again. Cool. Yeah, yeah we right. believe him. He's had those before. Yeah, so the, it almost becomes an option, like a minor league option. So it's an option on old guys. So if you get guys that are <laughs> injured enough, 
then nobody looks to, you know looks at you twice when you just put them on the DL. So you can use the DL and use the minor league options and like cobble your way uh, to those 300 innings. And so someone asked me, who do you think is going to be third? I'll ask you this. I have an opinion, but uh, if you're looking at the depth chart right now in Tampa, uh, who do you think will have the third most innings on Tampa next year? And what, where around would that number be? Third most innings, yeah, just behind Glass now and Yarbrough. Yarbrough. Yeah, man. If I were, if I were a wagering man, I think, <laughs> I think I'd put that on Luis Patino. Nice. Which is, you know, high risk, high reward. Pitched in of the course. big leagues, pitched in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Seems ready to go. Pitched in the big leagues. You know, had what do you have? Ninety four and two thirds innings in twenty nineteen. So if he got to one. 35, 140, that'd probably be enough for him to be third in innings for the Rays this year, right? Because I don't expect Waka to get more than that. Waka's had plenty of chances to work full big league seasons and unfortunately just hasn't been able to do it. Maybe the Rays get lucky and get yeah, 160 no, plus from him, but I don't, I don't think like it's going to be him. Archer coming off thoracic outlet, Waka, who's like almost no. never done it, Rich Hill at 40 years old. No. My answer was very similar to yours. It was just slightly different. Josh Fleming. And yeah, the, uh, the idea Fleming is too. The, the idea is that Fleming uh, had 147, 150 innings in 2019, and also um, vis-a-vis Patino, the only only way I could sort of uh, navigate that decision was just that Patino, I think, has higher uh, upside, and so there may be more games played with his health or whatever. <laughs> I think that Fleming. Um, is more in their sort of Yarbrough oatmeal <laughs> yeah. situation where they're like, you know, Fleming, maybe we'll use an opener, you know? Maybe Patino will be an opener for Fleming or whatever. Um, and it, those things will shake out. But I think we'll look up and Fleming will be third on the raise with 85 innings pitched. That's my prediction. <laughs> If he's third with eighty-five innings, they are they are slicing that pie into a lot of little pieces. That's like the but annoying St. Louis pizza. They did it in twenty nineteen. They've already done this. It's annoying. It's annoying. It's not. It's not that maybe that enjoyable as a fan, but uh, it is uh, in some ways brilliant. Let's try Jake Arrieta going back to the Cubs. Is there Let's any hope that that turns into something that works well? We've got a lot of old guys ending up in familiar places or somewhat expected places. He's lost Velo, of course, since he was great. How could he have not? It's a big part of why he's not the same guy that he was at his peak in Chicago. What's left? Or is there any sort of adjustment that Jake Arrieta can make? I mean, the park change alone, getting out of Philly for his home starts and into Wrigley for home starts at least puts him back on the deep league streaming radar. I don't know if I necessarily want to draft him, but I'm at least keeping an eye on him for certain matchups and for those two-star weeks like we talked about. One thing I will say is that Wrigley has this uh, awesome way of playing, like, super pitching-friendly. It's I don't know that I know exactly what it is. I think it's, like, it's the wind blowing in, but who's, does people do people report in public where the wind is blowing from? <laughs> there must be somewhere. It blows in more often than not, and usually it's in at like 10 or 15 miles per hour. And then once in a while, when it changes direction and blows out, it's insane. Cold days it blows in or something? Or is it early in the season? Is it day games? Anyway. It could be more for day games, but every once in a while, if you're looking at the 
the over under swings for the wildly, games. right? It swings wildly at, 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 yeah. in Wrigley. It goes from like an eight and a half over under total or an eight for just like normal or decent starting pitchers to like an eleven if it's blowing out. It, it turns yeah. into like almost like a, a Coors situation when the wind blows. That's out an interesting idea Wrigley. is to watch the over unders, let them do the work for you. So watch mm-hmm. the over unders and pitch Arietta at home on the days when the over unders are low. Yeah, I mean it helps if you're in a daily moves league. You can bail uh, if the weather right. ends up being hitter friendly, but uh, generally it's blowing in more than it's blowing out. So more often than not, if you're just setting a lineup for the week and you like the matchup, take your chances when he's at home. And especially, I think early in the season, Wrigley's pretty cold. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crappy at the beginning of the season. You know what he could be is an interesting play um, in deeper leagues where like you just want those innings early on, and maybe he'll get some better innings early on from Arietta and Wrigley and cold with it with it blowing in, and then kind of use that. And as the weather gets warmer, hope that you identify pitchers off the wire that you will drop Arietta for. Um, you know, right? It could be one of those just like placeholder type situations, almost like. A guy who will pitch in the major leagues and might have some good starts and maybe I can play around with and then hopefully get rid of at some point. Yeah, be ready for an upgrade in the early weeks of the season because I don't know if there's a whole lot left in the tank, yeah, but there's enough there. It's enough there to take a chance in deeper leagues just for those innings. It's kind of amazing, though, to like to drop from you know 93.5 to 92.5 and have that be everything usually the research on on velocity suggests that um between 90 and 94 there's actually not that much to be lost or gained with velocity um so this goes against uh, a little bit of um the research however i think that with arietta you know it's not just the fact that his velocity has gone down you know you can see that he doesn't use his curveball even half as much as he used to so, you know, there's something going on with that pitch that he doesn't think uh, is, is, is doing the right stuff. And uh, in terms of movement, you can just sort of see he's just not getting the same vertical movement on his pitches. And that's why his stuff number is below average. Like he used to get ride on his four seam and use the four seam off of the sinker. He doesn't get any ride on the four seam. Stop using it. You know, uh, he used to get three more inches drop on the curveball than he gets now. He doesn't get that same drop so he stopped using the curveball as much you see this weird thing where like he used to have a really wide gap in terms of vertical movement and over time his pitches have just become more similar Hmm. so they've all just kind of become more like his cutter over time or whatever his harder breaking ball they've all just sort of started that's they've all homogenized you know i guess it's an argument for keeping your pitches separate and having different movements on them Speaking of reunions, let's talk about Justin Turner. He stays with the Dodgers. The Brewers get the silver medal, which if you're a Brewers fan, you're a little disappointed because as you said on Friday's show, that might have been the kind of move that would have put the Brewers on top of the NL Central for a lot of people. And there's still projections like Pakoda that have them there anyway. But I never really felt like Justin Turner was going to leave the Dodgers. It never seemed real to me, even as those reports were coming in prior to the weekend. Uh, He gets a two-year deal to stay in L.A., they had just traded for Sheldon Noisy, and I was excited about that because I thought, wow, if, if they lose Turner, Noisy could be a part of the mix. Edwin Rios could play more. 
Now those guys end up in pretty clear bench roles, even though Turner, especially at this age, is not an every single day sort of player over a full 162. He's more of a 130 game sort of guy if he stays healthy. So there's a little bit of playing time on the margins in NL only leagues for guys like Rios and possibly like Noisy, but certainly this is not great news for those guys. And maybe it's not great news for Gavin Lux either because one more infielder taking a large share of playing time just kind of log jams everything on the depth chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if I were running the Dodgers for my benefit, um, I think I would just make Muncie the full-time first baseman, Lux the full-time second baseman, Bellinger the full-time center fielder, and have uh, Taylor and Noisy be my... Uh, my utility guys, although that leaves Rios maybe out of a job. Um, you know, just his 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 package of you know skills is not that irreplaceable. I mean, he hits the ball hard. That's why we like him, but he does not play defense really that well anywhere. So he you can put him in a group of players that produce Muncie for very for almost nothing for the for the Dodgers. So. Uh, one thing that's interesting about Turner to me is that last year he had the best uh, StatCast numbers almost of his career. Um, and yes, it was a small sample, but StatCast is built for small samples. And in 175 plate appearances, Turner had the best barrel rate of his career, the best hard hit rate of his career, uh, the second, uh, the best uh, max EV, uh, second best max EV of his career and the best of the last four years. Um, so I feel like this dude... He's a, he reminds me a little bit of Jed Lowry and like, I don't think he's the most athletic dude out there, but he's like, he's figured out how to make the most of what he's got. Yeah. I think the thing I like about this Dodgers team, well, obviously they keep spending money, but they didn't really replace Jock Peterson. That's the one thing that's changed since last season that, you know, if we don't have the DH in the NL, and as we've said, increasingly, it looks like we won't it still doesn't look terrible for someone like Lux. If they had the DH, I mean, things would look amazing. With DH, you could put Taylor in the lineup every day with Lux and then have Pollock rotate between left field and DH and just say, okay, we're good, we're covered. Without the DH, Pollock has to play left field and then you have to choose between Lux and Taylor. But Taylor's versatile enough to play all over. And as good as Chris Taylor has been, he might be one of the more underrated players in the pool in general. If you look at his, his body of work these last couple of seasons, I don't think he has to be an everyday player on this team. If Gavin Lux comes into spring training and everything looks good, he could at least be the big side platoon second baseman to start the year. And if he handles that well, he's the everyday second baseman. He's the guy. And Taylor accommodates Lux by playing all over the place. You know, I, th I think Kike leaving is a little bit of a nudge in the right direction for Lux because it's one fewer guy they're going to jam in to the infield mix, even though they added Noisy, even though you know they still have Matt Beatty and a couple other guys they could throw out there. I, I overall like the situation Gavin Lux is in right now. I feel like he has some control over how much he's going to play when the season begins. Yeah, there's still a shot. And I think that uh, on this team... It almost it looks like Taylor is more of an outfielder all of a sudden, mm -hmm. because they 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 go for noisy, uh, they trade for noisy. Uh, they've got Gavin Lux, and if you kind of it actually looks almost thin in the outfield for a second, like thinner than it's been in a while. Like Bellinger was playing first because they had extra outfielders. It seemed like right, 
Um, and I guess you could say, like, get Taylor in there. But there's a discrepancy. The bat X says Taylor is a guy who's 10 to 15, like 11% better than league average of the bat. Steamer says he's below league average of the bat. So there's a little bit of discrepancy on what our sort of projection systems as talent evaluators think of them. If he's below league average of the bat, then he becomes your fourth, fifth outfielder type uh, who can also play on the infield. Very useful for any team. But in if you needed to describe his role best, it'd almost be a fourth outfielder. Right. Yeah. I I, uh, I think that's he's a fourth outfielder who could also back up guys on the infield. Right. It's great. But for them, I, I don't so. think that's a little different than like um, someone who starts everywhere all the time. Someone who starts everywhere starts all the time somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a little careful. I'm going to be a little careful with Chris Taylor in mixed leagues because of the way this comes together and possibility. The highest that risk are him Lux and Lux takes over. The highest risk are him and Lux. I'd rather take the chance on Lux because I think there's a better chance that he just takes the job and runs with it. Yeah. I think Taylor ends up you know, three, four starts a week in more likely outcomes. If multiple injuries happen, they can be in the lineup together, but you don't want to assume that on draft day. Let's run through a few more signings as Drupal Cabrera to Arizona. We talked to Zach Buchanan on Fantasy Baseball in 15. This would have been last week. And he seemed to believe that Dalton Varsho might get some more time at AAA before he ends up taking over some share of regular playing time in Arizona. As Drupal Cabrera going to the D-backs sort of pushes that even closer to becoming a reality, right? I mean, it's one more guy that plays a couple of infield spots. If you have Cabrera maybe playing some second base, then you're bumping Cattell Marte to the outfield. Is he play center? Yeah. I think if Cattell Marte is in center, then Dalton Varsho is either your part-time catcher. Is your backup center fielder, yeah. Yeah, like you want him to get reps. He hasn't played at AAA yet. So Cabrera himself isn't interesting to me necessarily outside of NL only leagues as sort of a glue guy that you can just get you some early season plate appearances. But this does make me a little bit less interested in Dalton Varsho to begin the season, at least, even though I still think there's a pretty interesting long term future there. Yeah, uh, the mo- the other interesting thing to me about this Diamondbacks team, and it's totally unrelated, and I'm sorry about that, but. Um, uh, Merrill Kelly uh, looks good on all the um, sort of stuff and, and, and even, even projections are all right in some places and terrible in others. But he could be a sleeper if the velocity that we saw held and all these other, and like the stuff and command numbers are right. However, he's coming off of thoracic outlet syndrome. And I'm really surprised that they picked up a $5 million option on someone coming off of thoracic outlet surgery. Um, yeah. The other outcomes have been pretty bad. So I would just assume he's not ready for the beginning of the season, which might mean could my man Corbin Martin be in Corbin the Martin. rotation to start the season? He's in the deep, remember? deep sleeper conversation. Don't forget about Corbin Martin because like if, he, if he gets a spot, whether it's a couple weeks into the season or right out of the gates because of injuries, I don't think he's given that up. I think he's one of their five best starters. And they're not... They're not a bad team. They're just in the wrong damn division right now. They're, they're not getting anywhere near a normal postseason field with the Dodgers and Padres in that division with them. Yeah, hoping things break right and, and compete for a wild card, basically. Yeah, that's their best case scenario. Uh, so I'm keeping my eyes on that Arizona rotation battle. I think it's a great point on Kelly. We just haven't seen a lot of positive outcomes for pitchers coming off of thoracic outlet. Nomar Mazzara ends up in Detroit. I like this signing for the Tigers. I thought both he and David Dahl were the type of corner outfielders where if you were a rebuilding team, 
devoid of position player talent or light on position player talent, you should take the chance because there's still something there. We did see Mazzara slug a career high 469 during his last season in Texas. A bunch of metronome seasons, like 20, 20, 20, and 19 home runs his first four years in the big leagues, but age 21 to 24. I mean, I think he's one of those guys that doesn't have a lot of defensive value. He's actually a bad defender, so you really don't love putting him out there, but I'm still not convinced that we've seen Nomar Mazara's best season as a hitter. The projections don't like him at all. His 2020 wasn't good. It was the worst we've ever seen from him as a big league player. I'm convinced Maybe. that there's actually something here. I think he's actually playable. Are you telling playable. me this is the year? <laughs> this is oh the year. God. I'm back in. I'm back in. Dude, I've... Ah, he has broken my heart so many times. <laughs> he's really... He's really like the guy that I, tr- I tell myself, you should never cut a guy off. You should never be like, I will never draft that guy again. Because the price could come all the way down and the things that you liked about them, they might still be true. And here's what I liked about... And Nomar Mazzara, the tail of a barrel rate. 5.8% <laughs> in his rookie year. Slightly above average. 6.3% next year. Oh, we're getting somewhere. 8% in 2019. 9.5%. How is his barrel rate doubling over those four years and he's still only hitting 20 homers a year? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. There were so many metrics. His max EV is really good. It was before last year, actually. Um, and so... Here's a guy who can hit the ball really hard, who's improving his barrel rate every year. I was like, here we go, here we go, here we go. And in fact, if you look under the hood on the 20 homers, there's a little bit of a plate appearance thing that was happening that it made it look like he was hitting 20 homers every year, but his ISO was actually going up every year. Um, So he was improving his power. There was something there. But last year was so devastating. He could be like 20-team dynasty late-round recover-your-value uh, sort of pick, but I, I I don't even know if I really want him on my AL labor squad. I mean, maybe, but I hope it's cheap because I've been burned so many times. I think you do. The earliest he's gone, I assume this draft has happened since he signed with the Tigers, 383 overall. That's really not much. Really he's a big side cheap. platoon guy. He's probably not going to play against lefties, but when he plays, he's going to be in the heart of the order. I think he can get to 25 homers. I think with that barrel rate, it's still, like I said, we haven't seen his best season yet. It's not a great hitter's environment, but at the same time, his playing time is a lot more stable there. If he ended up with a a contending team, he might actually sit against some righties, believe it or not. In Detroit, he shouldn't sit against any righties. They should go ahead and let him get 450, 500 plate appearances and see what happens. I think they might be pleasantly surprised. And look what the Tigers did. They, you know, we we said that they were going to shake through these different guys that they had acquired uh, over the years and, um, you know, give them chances. And if they don't get chances, they shift into less, uh, pro- uh, less prominent roles. So I think Victor Reyes has had his chance. He now looks like most likely a fourth outfielder for this time, backup uh, center fielder type, you know, almost on the level of like kind of a Tim Locastro, like a guy who's really fast, but uh, we don't think that he can do the rest of the stuff that well. Um, but Nico Goodrum was like, at some point it looked like um, a, you know, a second tier starter, a, a, a guy that would, would start for a bad team like the Tigers. But look, lo and behold, Nico Goodrum is not number one at any position on this depth chart, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you, you kind of go through and you realize that all these guys that have been playing have been sort of notched down over time. Now Willie Castro is the starting shortstop and uh, Scope is the second baseman. They put together a representative 
lineup. And if, uh, if their young pitching pops, then we could be talking about like, you know, more teams should be run like the Tigers. They should acquire players over time, try to get better and wait for their young people to pop. It's possible. I don't really see it, but it's possible. It's sort of like another variant of what the D-backs are doing where you look at them and say, well, they're actually not that bad. And if things were to go as well as they possibly can, they could could hang around and and be kind of a five out of the wild card on July 31st kind of team. I honestly think it's like the, the A's strategy most years. You know, this is the this is the A's strategy. It's like make your team better wherever you can. Buy the two million dollar guys because they're they're getting stuff cheaper from them than you would anywhere else. You know, buy the two million three million dollar guys. Get better everywhere. Bring the floor up. Make Nico Grindham from your starting shortstop into your utility guy over time. You know, just just try to get better everywhere. And and then one year, you know, Casey Mize will, uh, you know, switch one pitch to another and you know take off. You know, Tariq Skubal, like, you know, as much as I think that the the command is not there and I'm worried about it, like, I could see him making one little tweak and and really capitalizing on the velo that he already has as as a thing that speaks well to him. So uh, it's an interesting team. Yeah, I think it's in that sort of Diamondbacks A's model. Just try to build okay teams and wait for the years where your okay team turns out to be great. I was going to say, like, if they're... If they hit their full potential this year, they end up 16th to 20th in the MLB power rankings. You're like, whoa, wow, hey, and we're excited about them for 2022 because the the next wave of young players, you know, Riley Green might be coming up by 2022 and they can add a few more pieces possibly next offseason. Uh, last move is one that we saw just before we started recording. CJ Crone is a Rocky. I actually don't hate it. Greg, <laughs> actually Greg seems Bird like will never be move. free. It'd be great if the DH were a possibility because then they could be in a lineup together. Yeah, but, I mean, true. CJ Crone, stack-ass darling, as we said before, good barrel this rates. This is his year. This is his year. It's a good spot for him to land, right? I mean, right in the heart of the order and 35 home runs might be a ceiling for him if he sticks in Colorado. Yeah, and uh, I don't know that the uh, – I think this must have been so fast that the projections have not given him a new batting average on balls in play yet because I can't imagine uh, that 281 is, this, is the uh, batting average projection for him at Coors. So I'm hoping maybe this is the year he hits 260 with 35 homers. Like, like you said, the, the, the stat cast numbers on him have always been great. He's been a barreler for the last four years. He's been you know among the best barrelers in the, in the league. Uh, so I'll take a shot on him. You know, I just took him in that 12-teamer as a bench guy. Um, so he's super cheap, and this is about the best thing that could have happened to him. <laughs> but yeah, sorry if you drafted Greg Bird and draft and hold in the couple days uh, <laughs> where it looked like he had a shot to maybe take away a good chunk of playing time in Never Colorado. Never get I think. too excited about a minor league signing unless it's Jed Lowry back in Oakland. <laughs> On that note, if you've got questions for us, as I mentioned earlier, rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to get those our way. we got part three of our starting pitcher preview coming up on Wednesday. $3.99 a month will get you a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. So if you haven't signed up yet, go ahead and do that. You'll have all the access to everything we have. we got rankings that Eno has from the pitching side. I've got some hitter and pitcher rankings up. we got a lot of articles rolling out. Draft kits just a couple of weeks away. So plenty of good things to check out over there if you're watching us on youtube 
hello. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, hit the like button on the videos that you're watching. So that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.